Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. Your financial mission rolling into another episode. Walter Storholt here alongside Janine Theus, the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, your local financial commander in Columbia and Howard County and beyond. You can find her online at TheusWealthAdvisors.com. That's TheusWealthAdvisors.com. Don't forget to pick up your retirement rescue toolkit there at the website as well. You can get all the details at TheusWealthAdvisors.com. Janine, we've got a fun show on the way today with a good email question from Gretchen coming up on today's program. We're also going to get a good story from you that I think is going to be kind of an interesting one. We talk about taking something that should be simple and way overcomplicating it and how we get it back to simplicity. So that's going to be a fun journey to take with you. But before we dive into all those meat and potatoes, everything going well in your world? Oh, it's great. Yeah. You know, it's it's always hard coming back from the holidays. But even though I worked, you know, several days during the holidays, it's still uh, when you're back in the groove, it's kind of like, okay, I got to get my brain in gear. I pretty <laughs> so. much decided that the entire month of January, you just spend recovering from the holidays and then you really hit the well, ground running after like, you know, Valentine's Day or something like that. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, <laughs> so we're, uh, we're at that point now. So you can feel free to go 100% when yeah. you're ready. All right. Well, yeah, we've got that, a... That chocolate's already in the stores. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, we've got a couple of good things to talk about today, as we mentioned. But first, let's see what's happening in the news. Extra, extra, read all about it. So, Janine, Forbes recently published an article breaking down how much money you'd need to be part of the top 1% in the world. We heard lots about, are you, you know, in the 1%, you know, over the last couple of years. That was, a, you know, obviously a big thing in the news not too long ago. So, are you part of the 1%? The answer might actually surprise you based on this recent study and, and these recent figures. If you're living in America, you have a net worth of at least $871,000, okay? So net worth of eh, just shy of a million to make the math easy. You're in the top 1% right there. If you have a net worth of just $93,000, so under $100,000, that still puts you in the top 10% in the world in terms of net worth. So a little bit of a deeper question to start the program off today, Janine. It's not about investing in stocks or bonds or anything like that necessarily. But how, if at all, should this type of information change the way we view our wealth? Well, it's the funny thing is, is we all get caught up in, we become a little myopic because it's all we're paying attention to is our world. So it's a bubble. And depending on where you live in America, you're living in that bubble. So for instance, the average income or the median income in the United States is now up. It was back in 20, let's see, this is 20, oh, 2019, holy moly. Go back to 2015, the median income had dropped to like $49,000. 
Well, now we're up last year, it was at $62,000. And so that's pretty huge. But if you're in Howard County, Maryland, which is where we are, the median income in Howard County is $120,000. So when I teach classes, I bring these points up because it's all relative. But even the 49 or the 50,000 or the 61,000 to the world's perspective is very, very wealthy. So for instance, there is a website called Global Rich List, and it's a website that brings awareness to worldwide you know, income disparities. But there's a reason for the disparities. That's kind of the topic for a different discussion. But an income of 32,000 a year will allow you to make the cut of the world's most wealthy, you know, 1%. And 32,000 American dollars is roughly equivalent to 28,000 euros or 2.4 million Indian rupees or how about 224,969 Chinese yuan. So if you're an accountant, a registered nurse or an elementary school teacher, congratulations, the average wage for any of these careers falls well within the top 1% worldwide. Now, what's interesting is those different economies don't have some of the opportunities America has with our type of economic structure, which we have a lot of innovation, we have a lot of opportunity, because we are capitalist in nature. When they begin adopting more of the capitalist strategies in those economies, their wages go up. So for instance, over the last 20-25 years, over a billion people have been lifted out of poverty because of capitalism, because they're starting to adopt some of this. Manufacturing is increasing worldwide. So it's just good to know where we actually are perspective-wise in median income, et cetera. So yes, who are the one percenters? Yes, in America, they're quite wealthy. In Maryland, you'd have to be at the $421,000 a year income to be in the top 1%. But what's interesting is the top... 3% of earners, which includes incomes down as far as about $118,000 or less, maybe closer to $80,000, this 3%, at least in America, is paying 97% of the taxes. So when you hear about taxing the rich and the disparities and income equality, there's a reason for income equality, and it's not a negative thing. It's what opportunities do you have to you know, climb out of poverty and poverty is dropping across the world. So, you know, maybe that's not where we should be focusing our attention as on the top 1%, <laughs> yeah. you know, because there is a lot of opportunity for you to move in the brackets, at least in the United States. Very interesting, I think, to have that kind of conversation. We're all very, I think, you know, should be very grateful to be in the position that we are in a country that has so much wealth in it, and then be able to have the discussions of, of what should we do with this wealth, but also to be thankful for your situation. You know, I think a lot of people, Janine, I don't have enough money to retire. You know, I don't have enough. And then you look at sort of these worldwide stats, and it kind of puts things in perspective for a lot of folks, I think. Well, it does, and I think a lot of people need to change mindset or thinking on what that you know, quote unquote retirement is because if you look long-term humanity, retirement as in you're going to stop working and, you know, go on easy street for the, you know, the last 30 years of your life is a relatively new concept when it comes to economics worldwide and human history. It's a relatively new concept. 
you know, a lot of people worked until they dropped or they worked until they couldn't work anymore in the olden days, if you will. And people are even now people are working until their seventies if they can, because they want to, my dad didn't really retire quote unquote till he was 81 because he didn't want to. Now he probably should have sold his business 10 years before, but <laughs> you know, it's, we have the opportunity to do that. And it is about mindset. Yes. There are people who haven't saved enough. That's a different issue. So they haven't planned or nobody's talked to them or they haven't read what they need to read. But in general, there is a huge amount of opportunity here. And maybe if you haven't saved enough for your retirement, you need to look at what the lifestyle choices are going to be going forward. Mm. Yep, that's a good point. So interesting, a little headline there. thought that would lead to some good discussion. And thank you for the perspective, Janine. I think very very helpful. So that's what's happening in the news. Now let's do what we usually do. Dig in and grab a question from the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. This week's question comes to us from Gretchen. Gretchen is uh, funny. We call our dog Gretchen. Her name is Gracie, but we just always go with Gretchen. Is your Gracie, is Gracie short for Gretchen? No, her name is just Gracie. Oh, just Gracie, okay. <laughs> but in, in general, is Gracie more of a shorter Gretchen? I don't, are they you know, not, I don't know. Or are they not tied together like some? I, some I don't think they're necessarily tied. Okay, never mind. Sorry to all the Gretchens out there if I've <laughs> tied you in with the Gracies and vice versa. But in any event, Gretchen says, I inherited a lot of stocks and mutual funds from a relative recently. A friend who trades stocks told me that I'd have to pay a ton of taxes because we don't know the beginning price of these investments. They're old and weren't tracked then, I guess, she says. So he said it would be all treated as gains, and I'm going to have a huge tax bill on my hand. I'm wondering, does this sound right? Well, and I'm going to say it depends. Who is the relative and what state do you live in? For instance, the federal, basically, estate tax was increased a couple years ago, and it's very large now until, in fact, with the new tax law, it changed. So the federal estate tax, if you will, is, is 11.2 million each. And when you inherit stocks and mutual funds, et cetera, yes, there's a capital gain that might be due, but it's based on the date of death of the person, the deceased. So if the person, let's say the person dies on January 1st and you've inherited the stocks and mutual funds, and then you go to sell them the end of January. Well, if there was an increasing gain, you're going to owe some capital gains on that period of time because it's always going to be based on the date of death. Now, where the state comes in is if you are not a direct descendant of the person you've inherited from, like the child, grandchild, you know, a spouse, etc., then there is a state inheritance tax that you will owe. And in Maryland, it's 10%. So there are several states that have inheritance taxes. So you might not owe a capital gains tax, depending on when you sell the assets, but you, you may have to liquidate some of the assets to pay the inheritance tax if you're a non-spouse, non-direct mm -hmm. family member. So that can come into play. And a lot of people don't really you know, plan for that. So no, you're not going to ha necessarily have a huge tax bill because of the gains. It might be because 
of the inheritance tax. So it's not like you've got, oh, I don't know, Berkshire Hathaway that's trading it, you know, I don't know, what is it these days, like, you know, $290,000 a share. And, you, you know, you inherited 10 shares of that. And, you know, you have to count your basis as zero because you don't know. And you have to pay tax on every single dollar when you go to sell a stock like that, that becomes almost a crippling tax bill. It's not that kind of situation. Right. Right. So you might not have the federal estate tax because the, that estate tax is so large. And by the way, it's going to change in 2025 unless they make it permanent. But it doesn't hold true for states. And those inheritance taxes are paid by the recipient, of course, on the assets that you've inherited. So currently there are 12 states, along with the District of Columbia, that impose estate taxes on death. And then six states impose an inheritance tax. So if you live in Maryland, you have to expect an estate tax and an inheritance tax. So that's a little disconcerting for people when they find that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, so, definitely. Uh, because that's not something that, you know, people really plan for. But, you know, your gross estate is going to be the real estate, the bank accounts, the investments, vehicles, and other personal belongings. Proceeds from life insurance is always free. And that's kind of, even though it's included in your estate, life insurance proceeds always go income tax free to whoever the beneficiary is. But you're going to have to look at what is specific to the state. And on the estate tax side, Maryland's has been ratcheting up from a low of a million dollars a few years back. It's now, well, as of actually in 2019, the Maryland estate tax is now equal to the federal estate tax exemption, which is 11.2 million, which is a shock. Hmm. because it's Maryland. <laughs> yeah. Last year it was 4 million. So That's they made jump. that huge jump in 2019. We'll see how long they keep it there. Yeah. A couple of years. I'll give it that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, great question, Gretchen. Thank you very much for submitting that one to us. If you've got a question you want featured on the show, just go to theuswealthadvisors.com. That's theuswealthadvisors.com. You know, the Gretchen question kind of gives rise to, I think, an opportunity for you to maybe share a story with us, Janine. Wondering if you can maybe tell us about a time when you met with somebody whose portfolio, whose retirement plan was way more complicated than it needed to be. Kind of like maybe Gretchen's question here, where she's thinking she's going to have, you know, tons and tons of gains to be worrying about, and it's this complex situation with an inheritance, and it just sounds very overwhelming, but where when you really peel back the layers, it's not all that, you know, it was cracked up to be from a complicated standpoint. Any good stories come to mind? Well, it's really interesting. Typically, you know, this is going to sound like I'm dissing men, and I'm not, but... <laughs> I had two I'll uh, be the instances. judge of that, Janine. <laughs> <laughs> two instances. Well, because guys think they can do this more so than women. Two different couples came in. The invested assets were all over the map. You know, you've got specific stocks, some bonds, lots of mutual funds, some my shares, maybe a couple of ETFs. I'm like, what's your overall strategy? Well, I thought I was diversified. Well, if you look at the stocks, they're really, and you can pretty much tell a lot of times, it's large US, but you've got three funds over here. They have different names, but they're all large US. So you really have overlap. You've got a lot of things the same, you know, that are really the same. So you've taken additional risk because you're all on one side of the market. But what's really interesting is how many, at least in these two instances, there's a lot of investment in personal pride in the portfolios they've picked or the assets they've picked. 
I'll, I'll say that's fine. I think that's kind of funny. We talk about emotional decision-making, and pride is one that gets overlooked a lot. We talk a lot about fear and greed and some of those kinds of things, but I think it's wise to bring up the conversation about you know pride playing a role. Well, and, and you have to look at like just timeline too, because we've had a nine, well, aside from last year, we've had a nine-year run in the market. So when, they, when somebody says, yeah, my fund did really well, and I would ask, so is that your fund or was that the market? Because if you have a U.S. large company growth fund and then the benchmark is the S&P 5, let's look at the two. How did they actually do compared to one another? You know, what, what did the benchmark did, did? And if your fund is below the benchmark, then you can account for fees, you know, typically. And they, that's never something that people are actually looking at. Because it's amazing to me how many people think that mutual funds, that there's not a lot of cost because they're looking at the expense ratio and nothing else. And they don't see the underlying fees because you can't. It's buried in the legalese because management of mutual funds, especially retail mutual funds, can be very expensive. But it's interesting for both people who came in. So in one case, the gentleman had, he had a spreadsheet and I didn't even look at the spreadsheet because he pushed it toward me. And I said, because they were telling me about how they were very proud of living very frugally. So they're bringing in X and they're living on Y and they're both mid sixties. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And then, then I happened to look down at the bottom line, the number at the bottom line. And it was quite a bit of money like about 3 million or more. And they're living way below the means, if you will. And I asked, what is the true purpose for your money? I couldn't get an answer. So the allocation was important and he felt that he had developed this allocation strategy that was working, but there was no strategy for the money itself. And I must have asked six times, asked that question six times, and I could not get an answer. So when people are building portfolios, they're very proud of what they've built, which is great. But is it accurate compared to what is actual reality in the market? There's a disconnect. And sometimes that takes a little bit of gentle prodding, <laughs> teasing, you know, <laughs> yeah. to get for them to kind of tell me the thinking behind what they did. You know, and I'm trying not to beat people up, really, you know, but when you compare it to the research and the evidence, what you've done is overcomplicate the portfolio. And in one instance, I turned to the wife and I said, okay, he dies tomorrow. What are you going to do? And she said to me, she goes, I'm coming to see you. <laughs> and I said, that's the right answer. <laughs> because <laughs> in both instances, the wives admitted they had no clue what was going on with the investments. They were not comfortable with it and they had no clue what to do. So that's a tough way to leave your spouse. <laughs> Unless you leave them with a card that says, if something happens to me, go talk to Janine. Right, right. Call this, so, in case of emer financial yeah. emergency, call this person. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's more common for men to do that than women. Yeah, I can certainly see that. I'm okay jumping on board with that line of thinking, that train of thought. So is the you know name of the game from a complication standpoint is just to start the planning as early as you can? Is that really the best route that you can take? And the earlier you start to engage in it, then the less chance you have for overcomplicating it as, as you're able to kind of fine tune and adjust over time? 
Yeah, because what happens is for a lot of folks that overcomplicate things, they really do get into stock picking, market timing, track record investing. And those are the three sins, if you will, that will kill a portfolio faster than anything. Because when you have a year like last year where the market swings were so big, you know, unless you have the discipline to leave things alone, you know, which a lot of people don't, and the, the data shows that, that you'll panic and sell out of this. Or, or, you know, if you've bought individual stocks, well, tell me, usually in an individual stock picking situation, my question is always, at what point do you sell? Because then when you get into retirement and you're trying to build an income stream from that portfolio that you have of these things all over the map, what are you going to sell first for income? Or how are you going to strategize an income distribution? And in almost every case, there is no answer given because it's not clear how they would do that. So if you're looking at the evidence for portfolio construction based on, you know, 50 years of research and the science behind it, then your portfolio should look like this. You should capture the returns of the market and not try to gamble where the market's going. And then I can actually create an income distribution that's probably higher than when you're than what you're going to get if it's all over the map. So important and, to uh, manage all of those different things, Janine. Tell us a little bit about what your process looks like, not only so that you keep things from becoming overcomplicated, but how you take somebody who's maybe in that position like Gretchen, where she inherited those stocks and mutual funds and doesn't really know, okay, what do I do now? Or it's the wife who comes in after you know, a divorce or after a, a sudden death in the family and they didn't have a plan in place and is now wondering what to do. Or you know, it doesn't have to be a dire situation either, just somebody who says, you know what, I've put all this money away in my retirement accounts, but I don't really know what to do with it now that I'm getting close to retirement. What does the process look like to meet with you? Well, first off in the process, it's looking at what you currently have and how it's allocated and what it actually is. A lot of people come in, they think they know what it is, but they're not really sure. So we go through a process of analysis and say, this is what it is actually. Then we have a conversation of the market. What is the market? It's not just the S&P 5 and the Dow, which is what everybody thinks it is because that's what all the media focuses on. So it's how are you actually constructed? And then what is the risk or standard deviation is the scientific term, but you know, what is the risk? What's the roller coaster that you're on potentially? So it can be this high, it can be this low. Are you comfortable with that? If you're not comfortable with that, there's some things we got to change. And then I spend a lot of time talking about, you know, I mean, I synopsize it, but it's talking about the research and what the research shows, and then what the actual construction of a portfolio is going to look like and how an integrated portfolio can actually create a larger and more stable income stream for the next 20, 30 years. I mean, it should be like watching paint dry. You should not be worried. So I call my process invest and worry less because that's how it should be. Because the entire market is a different market today than it was 25 years ago. And getting people to understand that once you understand that and then how it actually works and who owns a lot of the market, then people are a little more on board with, okay, that makes sense. I feel more comfortable now. I can let go of what I think is control. And that's that control is really the issue, especially for men, is how much can, you know, I have control over this. <laughs> and you can't take it from me. Right. And, I, and so my question is, well, how much control do you really have? Let's talk about that. 
great questions to ask yourself and great questions for you to ask folks, certainly, to move the conversation along. If you've got questions and some uh, question marks that still surround your financial plan, you can reach out to Janine Theus to talk a little bit about that. If you need some guidance from a very beginning standpoint, or if you're looking to kind of retool your portfolio in your financial plan, maybe you've gotten off track, or maybe you've tried to do it yourself for a while, and now you just know that you need some help kind of getting to the finish line of retirement, or you know not to treat retirement as the finish line, but just as the beginning of another phase of life, well, you can reach out to Janine a couple of different ways to spark up the conversation, come by in the office in Columbia, have a conversation as well in person. Set that up by calling 443-718-6311. That's 443-718-6311. Or find Janine online, theuswealthadvisors.com is the address. That's theuswealthadvisors.com. Don't forget to pick up your retirement rescue toolkit there. It's a physical box packed with a book, audio CD, DVD, reports, and other goodies on retirement planning essentials. You can find that, again, on TheusWealthAdvisors.com, or just look for the link into the description of today's show, and it'll take you to where you need to go to order that free retirement rescue toolkit. Janine, thanks for all the help and guidance on the program today. Glad you're back up to speed and, and running you know, 100% now. Let's have a great rest of the year. That sounds great, Walter. Thank you so much. <laughs> Looking forward to our next podcast. Hope you'll join us then as well. For Janine Theus, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time on Your Financial Mission. Your Financial Mission.